God's word. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Let's read together 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise. Amen. Please have a seat. Pastor Sam's going to be preaching for us today from this text. And, um, you know, we don't do this enough. I don't do this enough, but um, sometimes we, you know, we take the ones that are nearest for granted, um, our family and those closest. And I spend more time with Pastor Sam than I do with my own family, you know, because we're, it's all the time. And um, uh, so, you know, and I was thinking back on our ministry, it's been about 14 years of doing ministry together. And so now, really, he completes my thoughts, and I complete his thoughts. And um, we go, and it's, it's almost like, uh, uh, like the odd couple back in the uh, 70s, if you remember that. But, uh, um, and, but he's been a, a, um, a faithful pastor and friend. Um, he's uh, one of the few that tells me to my face, dude, that is such a bad idea. <laughs> you can't do that. And he's helped me, or like, dude, that is such a good idea. We need to do that. And... Um, and he does so many things well at church. And sometimes we do take our own for granted. It's like, oh, it's just, it's not a special someone, but it's him. So um, as he comes up, uh, let's treat him like he's special because he is. And let's give him a big hand. All right. All right. Well, well thank you for that, Pastor Steve. <laughs> hey, have you guys ever found yourself in the middle of a silly argument? and you're wondering, how do I get in this? How do I get out of this? What's the point? I, I kind of find myself regularly in some of those here and there. Um, I remember uh, specifically once getting into an argument with my wife about who's more stubborn. You're more stubborn. No, 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 you're more stubborn. No, you're stubborn. So you could imagine two stubborn people arguing about who's more stubborn. It was a silly, silly uh, waste of our time. You know, on the internet, it's full of people sharing examples of silly arguments that we can all get involved in sometimes. A person was sharing how him and his college roommate didn't speak for three weeks. Three weeks, they didn't talk to each other because they got into an argument about how the toilet paper should come off of the, the, the placement. Should it come out the top, right? Or the paper's coming out the top or under? They come out under, right? That three-week argument where they're not talking. Uh, someone got into a fight with their brother because they got into an argument about which fruit would win if they could fight. <laughs> someone argued, uh, well, it turns out later to be their ex, but uh, what weighs more, a pound of bricks or a pound of feathers? Uh, how many toes do humans have? So that should be pretty fairly, right, basic 10, but I guess the person he was arguing with was saying that there's only two toes and the rest are digits. So that would have been a really fun argument to be a part of. A father was sharing how he got into an argument with his daughter, who was only three years old, 
And the argument was about whether Led Zeppelin's song Stairway to Heaven was a good song or not. Are salsa and picante the same thing? What time of the day is AM? This is interesting. So the other person thought A, the A and AM stood for afternoon. So that person was arguing, no, AM is the daytime and whatever. And then the church is not immune to these kinds of things. Tom Renier in his blog was talking about how there's been some silly arguments in the church. One church had an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Another had a fight over whether they should, uh, what type of filing cabinet to purchase. Was it going to be black or brown, two, three, or four drawers? They ended up having a 45-minute heated argument. Churches have had business meetings about whether or not to purchase a weed eater. Two different churches at least reported in, uh, into his blog about how they fought over the type of coffee that was being served. They, you know, wanted to move from Folgers to Starbucks, ended up in a church split. Wow, right? An argument over whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. If you don't understand, it's because there, a lot of times people, you know, Christians want to talk about how there's no such thing as luck if you believe in the sovereignty of God. So they didn't like the term potluck. Um, an argument in the church about who has access to the copy machine. One church member describes how there was a certain church member who would hide the vacuum cleaner from everybody else. And it actually resulted in a major fight and church split. My favorite, though, is a dispute that arose at a church over whether or not people should be allowed to wear black T-shirts since black is the color of the devil. Love it. Black, the color of the devil. You know, the reason I talk about this right now is because the passage we just read, and and I know at first reading, it seems like, man, what in the world is this passage about, and how does it really have to deal with our theme? We've been going over, uh, our our Sunday theme has been, let us love. And and how does the talking about the law and and this and all of that, well, okay, here's how I'm going to explain it. All right, and, and right now, what I'm going to say, I think is important for you to stay with me uh, the rest of uh, uh, our time here. There is drama at this church, all right? but it's not silly. The drama that is here at this church, and Paul's addressing it, is serious drama. It's something very, very, very important. And so what we're going to explain is what these other people were saying. Paul, what he says to that, and then why that's important for us to understand today. And at the end of all of this, Paul is going to talk about how, no, we're all one. In Christ Jesus, we're all one. And you see, what he's saying there is not just some, like, hey, let's have a great marshmallow and s'mores time over the campfire. Let's be one. Let's all be united. Let's all love each other. No, it's an important conclusion that he gets to because of all of this drama that was existing uh, in their church. The drama, I believe, began uh, from a group of people that we kind of label them as Judaizers, Judaizers. And the reason why they're labeled uh, such is because 
if you want to sum up what these, uh, these people were trying to do is that they were trying to get people to live the Old Testament way. They were trying to adopt Jewish practices and customs and laws, and they were putting those laws and customs and regulations on people who weren't Jewish, on Gentiles. All right? Now, it sounds ridiculous, but if you give me a moment, I, I want to explain that it's something that was very serious. Paul, in, in fact, describes what they were doing in chapter 1, verse 7, as not just a bother. It wasn't just that they were troubling others. They were actually distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Distorting the gospel of Christ. Now, this distortion, okay, this distortion uh, involved taking, all right, okay, so here's, here's, you know, I got a little bit way too much into this in first service, so I'm trying to figure out how to get to the point quickly here in second service, right, because, yeah, we're a little bit 12 o'clock, you know, all right, here it is. If you look at Genesis 17, all right, what we see, uh, like in verse 7, we see that God came to Abraham and he, gave a, he made a covenant with Abraham. All right? This is going back to the Old Testament. And how God described this covenant is he said it's an everlasting covenant. All right? So he says, look, there's no end to this covenant. It's everlasting. Now the sign and seal of this covenant was going to be circumcision, and that's evident in verses 10 and 11. Okay, so, so not only did God make an everlasting covenant with Abraham, there was a sign and seal to that everlasting covenant, which was circumcision. And that sign, circumcision, wasn't just for Jewish people. It was also for foreigners who would get adopted into that household and into the family, into the people of God. That's in verse 12 of the same chapter, Genesis 17. Okay, right? And you can see that there. So, what the Judaizers were saying, ta- doing was they were taking Genesis 17, most likely. Part of the problem is we don't have the other side. It's kind of like if you're listening to someone on the phone and they're getting into an argument and they're defending themselves, but you only hear the one side of the conversation. But a lot can be understood from hearing that one side, right? You, You can understand from Paul's writings what he's defending. So what happened was, most likely, is they took that covenant and said, look, all right, now, Paul got, got you guys started off on the right foot. That's really great, all right? Galatians, you are on the right path. But here's the thing. Have you ever looked at the, the original covenant that God made with Abraham? Because this is the everlasting covenant you want to be a part of. I don't have a lot of time to get into it right now, but... If you're part of this covenant, you're going to experience the blessings of God. If you're outside of this covenant, you're going to experience the curses of God. Which one do you want to experience? The blessings of God or the curses of God? Well, if you want the blessings of God, look at how God set this covenant up. He even describes it as an everlasting covenant, so that's still valid today. What you have to do is you have to get circumcised. That was their end sort of argument. It's a biblical argument. And, you know, it was very convincing. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Who wants to be cursed by God? Who wants to be outside of that? Yeah. This sounds, wow, yeah, okay. Maybe that's the key. The key to being a part of God's household. The key to uh, being a part of the church. The key to receiving God's blessings. 
The key to salvation? Ah, circumcision. The observance of these laws. Okay, so that's what they were saying. In fact, they were saying it, and, and probably to the point where they were saying, kind of like Paul's message, you know, it's great, but that's what a mere man is saying. What you need to listen to is what is God saying. Right? And the reason I bring that up is, if you look at Genesis 1, verses 10 to 12, Paul has to defend his message. This is not my message. This is, I'm trying to explain to you guys God's message. You know, I, am I, is, uh, who am I trying to seek approval from? Anyways, so now then, let's get into Paul's response to this, which really is in the, the, the meat of Je- Galatians chapter 3, all right? Paul's response to all of this is, come on, think about this. Galatians, church, think about this, all right? How did, you guys have, have received the Holy Spirit, you're part of the church, you're, you're already part of the, the family of God. How did you receive the Spirit of God? How did it come to you? Did it come to you by observing laws? Did it come to you because God said, okay, here's my obedient child, now you're accepted, welcome to the club, great job. You are an outsider, now you're an insider because of how well you are obeying the law. He's like, no, we are part of God's household by faith. The faith that we had in the gospel, in the promises of God, and in Christ Jesus is what brought us together. That's how we began. Why in the world would we now turn to the law? Right? Being perfected by, by the flesh. Why would you turn to that now? He says, in fact, look at verse 6 of Galatians 3. He's all, even Abraham, all right, even Abraham, even Abraham, <laughs> it's going to come up, I know it, verse 6, is, is, there we go, oh, of chapter 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 6. Oh, I could read it for you guys. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Just as Abraham, so Paul is pointing out even Abraham. See, these guys are pointing to the covenant that God made with Abraham and saying the key is circumcision. The key is this work, this work that you have to do. But how was Abraham counted righteous? Even the original one that God came and made the covenant with, it was through his faith. It was through his beliefs. So he's saying it doesn't make sense now that we would go backwards and go back to something that never was intended for what you guys are trying to make it for. You guys see what Paul is saying? In fact, he says, the law is like a curse. The law can't save you. The law can't save me. That was a profound statement to uh, to make at that time, if, if the law had been looked upon and considered to be the solution to man's problems, right? Hey, how do we differentiate ourselves from the rest of the world? How do we stand apart for God? How do we become a holy people, a holy nation? How do we get closer to God? Here's the solution. We got to know, we got to memorize, we've got to understand, we've got to obey and keep the laws of God. That had been the solution for so many generations. And now, all of a sudden, Paul is saying, no, the law is like a curse because no one can keep it. The law actually imprisons us because it's impossible for you and I to keep the law perfectly. Now, 
If Paul comes and says that, the question then is going to be, what, Paul? Do you realize what you're saying? What's the point of the law then? Why did God give us the law? Why, why did God spend all that time and energy to give us the law? You're just saying it's a curse? Was God trying to curse us? Was God evil? What was the point of all that? What are you saying? And in verse 19, I think Paul makes it very clear. He even asks the question, he's like a lawyer, why then the law? Right? Like courtroom drama here. He said, then he said, then they said, then Paul says. Here's why the law is still important. He says the law had a definite purpose. The law was added because of transgressions. Now, this can be misunderstood. The way it could be misunderstood is we could think, okay, God created man, told man to obey him, love him, let's, let's have a great time together. Man sinned, man fell, now there's a problem of sin. So because of sin, God had to give a solution, and that solution was the law. But if that's how you understand this statement, your problem is it doesn't make sense with anything else Paul is going to say in Galatians. It's like you're making him contradict himself over and over and over again throughout this letter. So I think we can throw that understanding or explanation of what Paul's argument here is out the window, because that's not how Paul wrote. He was always super clear on his points. Then if you, if you, if you think about this, all right, he's trying to help people understand, no, the law had a definite purpose. What was that law? All right, here's sins. It was added because of sins and transgressions. Here's how we can understand this. Maybe I should start with an illustration. I was walking around a street in Korea once. We were on family vacation. And man, it, I, I've never seen so many Asian people in one street before. I felt so in the middle of Asia. And there's tons of shops and stores on this street, and everyone's trying to get you to walk into the store. And so people are standing outside with, you know, uh, they're yelling things at you, and they've got free samples, they're trying to pass things out to you. And it was just the noise, the scene, I almost, I felt like I was going to faint. It was like, I just want to be on a beach somewhere. Why did I come here for vacation? But it was funny because people would look at me, they didn't know if I was Chinese or Korean or Japanese. And so the people who were standing out these, outside of these shops, they would say things to me in all kinds of different languages. And I don't, I don't understand any of them. I don't, you know, if you know me, I, I, don't speak, I don't speak Korean well, I don't speak Chinese, I'm not Chinese, I don't speak Japanese. But everything would get thrown at me and finally they would try English. And I'm like, oh yeah, I understand English. And it's a makeup store, and they're trying to give me a sample of makeup, and they're like, come in. I'm like, I don't need that. I felt no need to walk into that store. And even though they were offering me a free gift, I felt no need to accept that gift. Now, I, I mean, I don't want to get into an argument about whether I really need makeup or not. It's a <laughs> that's a different argument. I just felt no need. Now, the reason why I talk about this, imagine now we're trying to explain to people you need a savior. You need salvation. You need the grace of Jesus Christ. You need the gospel. But if someone doesn't feel the need and they don't understand the need that exists in their life, they're going to be like, no, thank you. 
Why do I need the gospel? Why do I need saving? My life is fine. I'm okay. I'm good. Maybe you get the next guy. So the law, what the law, one of the most important functions of the law is that it explains to us, it reveals to us our sin. It reveals to us our transgression. It points us to the very, very important real truth that we need saving. That there's a problem that we have and we cannot solve it by trying to become more and more righteous and trying to become more and more obedient by our own strength and our own power. The law reveals that, doesn't it? If you didn't have the law and you didn't know you were messing up and you didn't know you weren't, you, that we weren't meeting a holy standard, we don't need a savior. In fact, some have even said that the law is the very thing that even in a way, it, it, it incites us to, to more sinfulness sometimes. And it's, and it's not because God is sinful and the, and the law is sinful. The reason is that we're sinful. It's like if you start giving rules to a bunch of teenagers. Hey, you can't go there. Whatever you do, do not open that door. Now it's like, oh, Why? <laughs> What's behind that door, right? I mean, if they never said anything to you about that door, you probably just go on with your life and you're fine. But the minute a rule is created and it exists for something, we, as sinners, we begin to think and we begin to wonder and there's curiosity and there's often sinfulness. And R.C. Sproul, he has a great quote about this. So desperately wicked are we in our hearts that every time God adds a new law, we take it as an occasion to further our rebellion and disobedience. We see that happen with our children. The more rules we give them, the more determined they are to break them. So in a way, all of this culminates in the law pointing us to what? To Christ. To Christ. Because we begin to realize we're sinners, we begin to realize we failed, and you can try to, try to somehow obey all the laws, you can somehow try to become righteous in your own way, but all you're going to realize is that it's impossible. That it's actually imprisoning us and cursing us. And Paul says very clearly, but understand this, this doesn't go against God's original plan. It doesn't contradict God. Verse 21 of chapter 3. It's not contradictory at all. And the way he explains it now is if we look at the passage we just read, look, okay, before faith came, we're held captive under the law, right? Well, we just talked about how the law actually enslaves in a way, how it actually curses us. But 24, then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So there, that, that word guardian in the original language, that word guardian talks about a person whose role was to take care of very young children. And that, that role involved disciplining them and sometimes very harshly, making sure that they would go to school and they would come back to school, but it also involved protecting them, it also involved caring for them, but they weren't their parents, and it was only for a temporary time. It was only while the children were still young. And Paul uses that metaphor to describe the purpose of the law for the people of God. The law was our guardian, but only for a while, for only a time, until Christ came. Because justification, 
All right, justification, a legal term, describing being declared righteous, being made right before God. This is going to happen by faith, not by keeping rules that we can't keep. It's going to happen by faith. And faith in whom? In Christ Jesus. See, the key is we have to be, verse 27, baptized into Christ. We have to put on Christ. And for Paul, the the new sign of the, the covenant now is baptism. So now what we ask people is, hey, it's not about getting circumcised. It's about getting baptized. We're united to him. We're putting on Christ. We're living in Christ. All of this to say what? You're all sons of God. You're all sons of God. Now, verse 26, where he says we're all sons of God, he's not purposely excluding women. All right? The reason why I think he purposely just says sons. At that time, the inheritance was given to the firstborn son. That was how it worked. And if you weren't the firstborn son, often you were just out of luck. There was no recourse. Can you imagine living in that kind of family situation? Growing up your whole life, looking at your eldest brother, thinking, man, he is getting everything and I am getting nothing. I would have a hard time personally growing up in that kind of household and environment. I know for me, it would be difficult to contribute to anything in that household. And maybe Paul is appealing to this concept and this thought because the Judaizers Judaizers probably began their whole argument with this. Do you want to be a part of the inheritance? Do you want to be a part of that covenant, eternal blessing? Do you want to be declared that child of God, that son of God? Well, then get circumcised. And Paul is saying, no, that's not how it works. We are all sons of God because of faith. Because of grace, because of our union to Christ. But you see, if we're all sons of God through faith, then here's the important thing that we have to remember. Verse 28, then there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Imagine being a slave, going to church, and two rows in front of you is a slave owner. You're going to the same church. And maybe you're not happy with how your life is going. You're upset at the lot that's been cast your way. Maybe you've had an incredibly tough week as a slave. And you're sitting there in church and you're trying to sing about God's goodness and God's grace. But all you can think about is, man, that guy. Wow. Why of all churches is he at my church? Right? Have you ever thought about that? And it's incredible to think about the dynamics. 
I mean, how many awkward moments would there be at a church like this where you have Jews and Gentiles, slaves and, 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 and free? Men and women, you think, well, what's the big deal, men and women? Well, you know, back then there were actually a lot of social, you know, inequalities for men and women living in this time and in that era. It's not like today. And then you throw everyone together in one place, and you're telling everyone in that one place, we've got to all love God, we've got to all worship God, we've got to all celebrate the life that we have. Have you ever, ever thought about, man, I don't know, for me, I might just try to find, if I was a slave, a church for only slaves. So I don't have to worry about, man, saying something weird that's going to get back to my owner or my master, and then he's going to give me an extra hard week something like that. What breaks down all of these distinctions and barriers? The thing that breaks it all down is that none of us earned our right to be part of the family of God. It was all given to us. We were all chosen by him. And it was through faith in him and our union to Christ. Amen? So none of us can sit here and think, well, I deserve it more than the other person, or I'm better than him, or, you know, at least I read my Bible every once in a while. How come that person never shows up to Bible study? How come that person doesn't tithe? How come, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Why is that person so different? And even, we think about it today, even as, as a melting pot of a culture as Southern California is, deep down in our hearts sometimes there exists prejudices, Judgments, incorrect stereotypes. And it's not just cultural or ethnic, it's about socioeconomic patterns and situations, and you got the rich and the poor. Think about this. What, what is the solution to all of these problems? It's the gospel of Jesus. And so when we come to church today, and we sit in this room, and we worship together, and we sing together, it's the fact that none of us, none of us are more a child than the other. Right? And as we're talking about let us love, and that's been our theme now for the past several Sundays, well, sometimes it's the hardest to love those who are closest to us, right? Sometimes it's easier to go somewhere far away and love, love someone for three weeks and then come back home and then kind of go back into our shell. Sometimes it's easier just to go to a church in Santa Ana on a Saturday morning once a month and help serve there. But when it comes to the people right here that we see on a consistent basis and a regular basis, sometimes it's harder. That person in your community group that always seems to annoy you for some reason, or that person at church, I don't know, for some reason, or that person in your family for some reason, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the ultimate ultimate end of all of this is that we will spend an eternity together in heaven, worshiping together. Amen? Amen? 
Yeah, amen to that. I think it's a great amen. I mean, that's a, yeah, of course, that's the end, right? We, we, everything we're, we're going through, the journey, what, what's the end destination? Heaven, together, worshiping God. Truly, the ultimate realization of no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no man, no woman, just being children of God. I think that begins here for you and I today. And so I think some of us, we need to kind of carefully consider how we act, how we live, and how we love. But I think there's also a second very real application, and it's this. For so many times, we've been told that the solution to all of our problems is changing our situation. If we're here, we need to get there. If this is how much money we're making a year, well, this is where we need to get to. If this is the story of our life, then we need to rewrite the story and make it this story. And that's the solution. But the gospel of Christ is so different. The gospel of Christ is not about how well we're able to change our future or we're able to change our destiny or something like that. The gospel of Christ is how Christ changed his situation. Of how he left the glory of heaven and said, this is not what I want. What I want is my children. And he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, bearing our sins, not his sins. He had no sins but bearing our sins so that he could create a church of people from all different kinds of backgrounds, people who are different in so many different ways, and say, you are my children, you are my church, I am the head of this church because I gave myself up for it. And it's about remembering that we're a part of this household and this family. The solution is Christ and his love and all that he's done for us, amen? Yeah, that's another good amen. Yeah, amen. That's like, that's like the heart of, of Scripture. So I know we kind of jumped in on the middle of the argument of what Paul was going through with the Judaizers. I hope I was able to kind of throw a little bit light on the, what the situation was, what they were saying, what Paul's response to it. But at the end, why it's important for us today to hear this and understand this Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, which plainly and clearly explains to us uh, the work of Christ and how, as we unite ourselves to Christ through faith, we're part of your household. We're declared and made to be your children, Lord. We thank you for that. We do confess that often we don't treat everyone here as your children. That sometimes in our hearts we have a lot of sin. There's jealousy, there's envy, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's hurt sometimes. And for whatever reason, sometimes it's just our own sinfulness. We don't treat each other as all being part of the same family of God. We pray that you would give us strength and help and courage to do so. Not because we can gain salvation that way, but because you've already exemplified and done for us an amazing act of love, Lord. 
and we're your followers, we're your children. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.